Now, if I'm right, I've been taped today because it's going to be shown tonight. Okay, so hello evening service uh, as well. Um, in my younger years, uh, I was a, a high jumper. I uh, competed in track and field and loved it, and uh, in recent years I've returned but really can't jump anymore, so I've resorted to do some of the throwing events. And I was at a competition um, out at uh, Homebush, and my son, I was shot putting, and my son came along, um, he was about four years old, uh, to watch. And he's not allowed actually on the track because you've got javelins, you've got hammer throws, people running. So I picked him up, put him on the other side of the fence and gave him uh, a new sort of like Lego box for him to put this thing together. I didn't realise he actually made it very, very quickly. And in the middle of the competition, as I had just thrown a shot put, they measured it, I walked away, people started yelling out, stop him, get him, grab him. And I turned around and looked, it was my own son was running across the track, he climbed the fence, running across the track, ran into the shot put circle, had a rock in his hand, and he threw it. And then he ran back, climbed the fence, and sat down. And, um, and I can remember just sort of watching him, and I kind of thought, he just thought, Dad is throwing a big round rock, I want to throw a big round rock as well. And there is this saying that you would be aware of. And it says this, like father, like son. People sort of say that, you know, we mimic the behaviour of people that are close to us as, as, we, as we grow up. We've got role models and people shape us into the people uh, that we are today. But there is this saying that actually comes out of the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles and it's a tragic saying, and this is what it says. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord like his father before him. So this picture somehow other that with the nation of Israel and even with the nation of Judah as they grew up, they actually became as their parents. So we actually have this tension that appears in literature, in movies all the time where you've got good versus evil, whether it's Thor, whether it's Superman, whether it's Lord of the Rings, whether it's the Hunger Games. But when the Bible talks about these opposing beliefs, it actually doesn't describe it as good versus evil, but it describes it as truth versus falsehood. So in the book of 1 Kings chapter 16, you've got Ahab, and this is what Ahab is described as doing. He did more evil than those before him. Like you kind of think the others were bad and you sort of like, you thought you hit rock bottom. They really hit rock bottom with the leader of the nation of Israel under the man called Ahab. And when Elijah comes onto the scene, Elijah has this complaint against them and he says this, you have abandoned God, you have worshipped Baal. In other words, they have given up all their belief about God, about his mercy and about his goodness because now they actually have bowed down and worshipped God or worshipped the wrong God, I ought to say. And so Israel were told this. Their first command was to love God with all their heart, soul and mind. 
And they were told as well not to worship any graven image, any false gods at all. So when Ahab comes along, he does this. He bows down and worships this fertility god where they sort of said that God, that the god Baal will provide you with, with children, it will provide you with crops. And God was a god that was actually easily distracted. God was a god that you actually had to get his attention off. That is the god of Baal. And that's where they would often actually uh, cut themselves, beat themselves to get the attention of God. So God was a little bit ADHD, uh, they believed, in terms of what he was like. So therefore, if the king believed in something who was Ahab, the people actually believed in it as well. And the tragedy that happens is, is that, yes, they've abandoned God, and not only have they abandoned God, but they've embraced something that is false. So Elijah appears on the scene. And as Elijah appears on the scene, we're actually told this. He says to them, how long will you waver? How long will you waver? How long will you actually sit on the fence for? If God is the true God, worship him. If he's false, then don't worship him. And he really puts it to them. It's almost like this picture that we get from the book of Revelation where we're told that, that they were neither hot or they were neither cold. They were just lukewarm. And so the platform is set. Who has the correct belief? Who has the picture of who the living God is and who follows the living God? And Elijah puts it to the, the 400 prophets of Baal to do this. Let us go up to Mount Carmel. We'll set ourselves up an altar. We'll get a bull. We will put the bull on the altar and we will both call upon God. The prophets of Baal will go first, then I will go next. And whoever, whoever's God actually burns the carcass of this animal, they have the belief in the true and the living God. So the prophets of Baal do this. They go up. They prepare their sacrifice. They shout loud. Then they shout louder. Uh, they dance. They cut themselves. We're told from morning till evening. And then Elijah sort of like gets in this, in this mocking sort of mode. Maybe, maybe this, this god of Baal has actually gone on a holiday. Maybe, you know, I actually asked somebody this morning, where's the men's room? You know, maybe, maybe, maybe the, the, the god of Baal has just disappeared for a moment and, and gone to the men's room. You know, maybe, maybe, you know, their server is down and the internet's not working and somehow other, you know, you can't actually get in touch with him. And then, you know, in the end, we're actually told this in verse 29, and it's very, very striking. There was no response. There was no answer. Absolute silence from the God of Baal. And then Elijah says, enough. He gets his carcass. He puts it on the altar. He even invites the prophets of Baal. You go get water, so you somehow other think that I'm not actually tampering with it. You actually get the water, you pour it on the carcass. And we're actually told that Elijah calls out to the true and living God and fire consumes 
the bull. And the people bow down and they cry and they say twice, the Lord, he is God. You know, it's easy for us to sit back and kind of think in our sophisticated sort of way, what a, what a ridiculous incident. Why would the prophets of Baal bow before something like this? But you and, I, you and I know all too well that as we live life, people have their own gods in terms of what it is that they actually follow and what it is that they actually pursue. Some people in life pursue relationships so much that it becomes like, like a god to them. You know, people actually pursue, uh, whether it's study, uh, whether it's even alcohol, or whether it's money, people actually pursue things. And these things actually occupy their time and their money and their energy. And can I say, that's a really easy way to find out whether something is a God in your life at all. How much attention do you give to it? How much money do you pour into this? How much time does it actually... Uh, take up in your life. Timothy Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, says this, that the gods of this world cannot actually bear the pressure that we actually put on them. The gods on this, of this world cannot deliver, even though the world will actually say, and the world will even promise how great it is, sin has its pleasure, but remember what the book of Hebrews says, but only for a season. My son Silas had an end-of-year soccer party at a boy called Max's house. Uh, we went there, you know, there, there must have been, you know, a dozen kids. Uh, they were running around, they were having a great time. The adults were, were eating up top, having a barbecue together. And, and Max has got this massive sort of round trampoline. It's actually really big, but it's actually made for actually two people to actually jump on. And you know what, why the dad, even though he warned the, the boys two at a time, you know, he turned his back for a second and the whole team was on it, jumping on it. And you could see that the whole thing was bending until the whole thing just buckled and, and just gave way. You know, it's that picture once again with the pressure that we put upon these gods that in the end can never, ever deliver at all you know what these things in life that we follow so easily ultimately in the end cannot actually save us you know an idol cannot forgive us an idol cannot remove sin an idol cannot actually give us peace with god or eternity or hope or all those things we actually heard about in the kids talk today you know what we need to do is we need to cling and hold on to the truth. And one of the sad things is, is, is that what creeps often into our lives is even false teaching, where people sort of say things from the Bible that actually aren't, um, aren't true at all. I worked with a lady who said this to me. She said that in the name of Jesus, if you're a Christian and you have lost any money, either through a bad investment or the stock market, or you've actually just bought something and you paid too much for it. She said to me that in the name of Jesus, you can actually claim that money back and God will give it to you and God will make you wealthy. And I can remember just saying, there's nothing of this in the Bible. That is just totally and absolutely absurd. But yet often in life, we get caught into this false sort of teaching that can actually 
lead us astray. Can I ask for a moment, I don't have my wallet with me, does somebody have their wallet and do they have a, a, a note in front of them? I, I promise I'm not going to run out and buy a... Um, um, yeah, 20 is fine. Um, I, could, I, could bu- I could buy lots of milkshakes with this. Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually a printer by trade. And uh, when I was training to be a printer, uh, I went to TAFE with people who actually worked at the Mint and we visited the Mint. And I never forget, um, when we are at the Mint, they actually taught us this. They taught us how to actually um, know the difference between the real thing and a counterfeit. And there's one simple rule. And do you know what it was? That, that people who, who are trained in this, it's actually... If you handle the real thing all the time and you handle a counterfeit, you can actually, you know which one the real is. And so for us, brothers and sisters, thank you, you do, you do. Um, that's, <laughs> you know, the, you know the, the incredible thing is this, is, is that we need to handle the real thing. We need to handle the word of God. And when we handle the word of God, you will know what the truth is. My wife and I attended Christchurch Glacial, and she was more involved in this than I was. But you know what? There was a group uh, of people that were involved with a cult. And do you know that about 40, 50 people came out of this cult uh, because they were actually taught about grace? They were taught about you can't earn your salvation. You know, my wife had an impact on, on one of these girls called Lara. And, and her and her family came out. Then others sort of came out. And it just sort of highlights and shows to us, you know, the most important thing that we need to do as we live in this world that bombards us with all these false images about who God is and what God ought to be like or the God of this age, as Paul often refers to it as, You know, we must be people that handle God's word and as we do that, we will be able to understand and see the truth. But can I say, these false gods are at every side and no greater tragedy that I have witnessed in my life is is that when somebody, when a believer falls in love with the world and its idols. Do you know, in the book of Colossians and the book of Philemon, The Apostle Paul refers to a guy as a fellow worker by the name of Demas. But in Paul's last letter in 2 Timothy, he writes these tragic words. He says, Demas, having loved this present world, has gone and deserted me. You know, what a tragedy. He has fallen for the gods of this world and has actually pursued them. You know, the tragedy is, is, is that this happens again and again where we would know people, Christians, who have been absorbed so much in the world that they actually give up walking with God and serving the king of the world and serving the king that actually desires to give us eternity. Do you know, my background, um, like Graham, is, is actually in youth ministry. And for many years, I would actually talk to teenagers about falling away and, and make sure you don't fall away. But you know what? As I've actually grown older, 
I've actually come to realise that it actually happens to people of all ages. You know, but we actually just become a lot more uh, subtle about it. Dim and I have actually got friends um, who were in the same Bible study as us. They churched with us. But now all of a sudden, weekend sport and all these other things that they do have actually consumed their life so much that in the end, they've actually given up on Jesus. Do you know what they used to say to us? They used to actually say to us, we're praying for you. But now they say to us, we're thinking of you. That God is actually no longer part of their language uh, at all. You know, today... Elijah stands up for the truth. And people, sadly to say, even though Elijah was delivered then, sadly to say, Christians are often not delivered like the prophet Elijah was. You know, Christians have suffered brutally uh, over the years. I, even myself, coming from a Greek Orthodox background, uh, my parents asked me to leave home when I actually first was converted, uh, along with my brother. But one thing that we can be assured of is this, is, is that our hope is not in this life, but our hope is in the kingdom to come. And we must live in light uh, of all that in terms of how we are to live. Do you know, you will have friends that actually say this. You'll have friends that believe in relative truth. That is, whatever's true for you is fine because I've got my own sort of truth. Or people will actually sort of say to you, uh, about absolute truth. You can't be certain about anything, so just sort of blend them all together. Or sadly to say, there's even this syncretism that sort of says that nobody really should embrace anything that's black and white, just we'll just put it all together and make up uh, whatever we want. And I want to say, for people who hold to this sort of thinking, my wife uh, has an auntie called Auntie Dolce, or I ought to say she had an auntie, we used to call her Auntie Dulcie uh, as well. Her grandfather's um, um, wife, sadly to say, uh, passed away, and he remarried uh, a lady called Dulcie, so therefore we referred to her as Dulcie. She was a healthy lady, and one day she got uh, a little bit ill, and she went to the doctor, and the doctor wrote her out a script. Uh, she went to the pharmacist, but can you believe that the pharmacist gave her the wrong medicine? And um, within a week, she was dead. Um, you know, I want to say to people that hold on to this thinking about syncretism, you know, medicine's medicine. It doesn't matter what you take. You know, it's all medicine. You know, it, it, it's an absurdity, isn't it? The truth, Jesus says, saves. The truth actually sets us free. I actually want to digress for, for a moment and talk about um, another incident like Ahab, but with a totally different outcome. In the book of 2 Chronicles, we're told about a man called Manasseh. He was king of Judah and he reigned for 55 years. And the Bible says he did evil in the eyes of the Lord again. And you know what this man did? This man had some of his own children sacrificed to the God of Baal. Like, you know, what an abhorrent thing to do. We're told that his son, name was Amon, he practiced sorcery, witchcraft, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, 
And some people didn't like him, so he was actually assassinated. And then you get Amon's son comes onto the scene. And you know what his name is? Josiah. And you know what we're told about Josiah? We're told this about Josiah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, not turning from the Lord neither to his right or to his left. Like seriously, you've got to stop and say to yourself, you look at Josiah, what hope does he have to be any different in life? What hope does he possibly have with having a father and a grandfather like that? But you know what? Josiah put his faith and trust in God. One day they were working in the temple. They found the, they found the Pentateuch. And we're even told that he actually rips his clothing because he realized how much his father and his grandfather had actually strayed away. What an extraordinary count of somebody. I heard recently on the news about a high-profile sportsman who sexually assaulted a woman, a woman. He was actually due to go to prison, but the judge said this, the judge said, he's had a hard life. We'll let him off this time. You know, it's, it's extraordinary, isn't it? I remember when I was talking to the 8 o'clock service this morning, I said, I don't know people in the service, I don't know everybody here, but you know, I guarantee you, there are some people sitting here today who have probably had a really, really hard life and have embraced Jesus and not let go of him. Do you know, I've got students in my school who have actually had to bury their parents who have not given up on Jesus. You know, I've got staff at my school who have buried their own children who have not given up on Jesus. The thing that I want to say to us is, is that despite his upbringing, Josiah never blamed God. He put his faith in him and lived in light of who God was and lived in light of God's goodness. Do you know, the incredible thing about Josiah was that he loved God with all his heart, soul and mind. Let me conclude by saying a couple of things about what we've reflected on today. Let me say this about Josiah to encourage us to stand firm, and it's this. Do you rise above your past and make a difference? Or do you remain controlled by your past and make excuses? That's not the case with Josiah. And the other thing that I want to say is, is that as people who have the truth, let's live out the truth in this world because we have a world that constantly wants to know the truth. How about that first Bible reading from Colossians where we have the supremacy of Christ. We have the living God that is actually for us. Let's live in light of that. Do you know, two weeks ago, I went on camp with Year 11 and some of the Christian students on that camp just reflected Jesus by their actions. They reflected the truth. They showed the truth to people how much they loved Jesus. 
two students, a boy and a girl, after that camp decided to give their lives to Jesus because of the truth. Living out the truth has a huge impact on people. And I want to encourage us to live in light of the truth. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, that it's living and it's active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. I do pray for each of us uh, this morning that you will uh, convict us, you will give us resolve to be people that actually live for you and for live for, for the truth. And for those here that may not know you yet, I do pray and ask that they may actually see the truth in the risen Jesus and commit themselves to him. And we give thanks for this in Jesus' name. Amen.